Well, good evening, everyone. Please turn with me, God's Word, to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 7, and it's found on page 1,161 of the Pew Bible, Mark 7, verse 31, and we're going to read into chapter 8, verse 21. This is a bit of a longer reading this evening. And you'll see a theme in this passage and even the passage uh, the week before of Jesus reaching out to the Gentiles. Let's listen to God's word. Mark chapter 7, beginning verse 31. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. And then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears. And he spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. In those days, the multitudes, being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples, to set before them, and they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to, he said to set them also before them. And so they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about four thousand, and he sent them away. Immediately got into the boat and went with his disciples and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? 
And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. Also when I broke the seven for the four thousand, how many large basketfuls of fragments did you take up? And they said, Seven. And so he said to them, How is it you do not understand? Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Well, have you ever experienced deja vu? You have the sense that you've done something or gone through a new situation before. Maybe you go to a new place and it feels familiar. Or you meet someone for the first time and yet you're sure you have met them before. Well, possibly after reading our passage this evening, you're thinking, haven't we been here before? This all sounds very familiar. Feeding multitudes of people with bread and fish. We covered that in chapter 6. Some liberal scholars even want to say that this is the same event. But although there are similarities, there are differences and they are significant. And that should beg the question, since Mark is known for being economic with his words, why would he include this miracle which he has covered before? We know Jesus has the power to do this, to feed many people. Well, Mark is emphasizing that in the same way that Jesus came for the Jews, he came for the Gentiles. We had a prelude to this last week when Jesus went to the Syrophoenician woman and removed a demon from her daughter. And so we'll consider two more miracles this evening. And I want you to see from this passage that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah of the world. He came to open deaf ears and open blind eyes. And you're to respond, not with hard hearts, but respond with understanding hearts. Well, firstly, I want you to notice Jesus opens your eyes and ears as was prophesied. So Jesus has moved from one Gentile region to another Gentile area. And you can see that in your map, in your sermon outline. The Decapolis, where he now is, is also a Gentile area. And this shows his emphasis on reaching Gentiles after having already reached out to the Jews. Decapolis has been described by one commentator as pig country. This was where Jesus removed a legion of demons from the, the, Gazar, the Gazarene demoniac, And I wonder, did this man have an influence on the man that we meet in our passage this evening? Quite possibly. This man is brought to Jesus. They knew of Jesus' reputation to heal. And this man needed healing, for he is deaf and he has a speech impediment. And Mark is surprisingly detailed in his account regarding this man. And it is to emphasize Jesus' compassion to the Gentiles. They were not an afterthought. They were not an overspill of his ministry. No, Jesus sought to include the Gentiles in his kingdom. And notice how Jesus takes the man aside. So Jesus is not making this miracle a spectacle. He doesn't want what he's going to do to be seen as a ritual for healing. Sadly, you see faith healers do something similar to how Jesus heals this man every time they try and heal someone. No, Jesus, when he heals someone, normally he just speaks a word. 
But on this occasion, Jesus reaches out in love to this man in a way that's meaningful to him. One of the most beautiful weddings that I have ever attended was in our last church. Uh, One of the members of our last church was a deaf girl, and uh, she was marrying a man who was also deaf. And as you can imagine, many in the congregation were deaf. And so they had signers for the couple, and they had signers for those in the congregation. But there was also a guest present who was both blind and deaf. And he had beside him a woman who took, or this guest had beside him a woman who took his hand and with her finger was able to communicate all that was going on in the service simply by touching the palm of his hand. And it really was a beautiful sight to see this man included in this special day. And likewise, Jesus wants to communicate with this man. And so he does it in a way that would make sense to the man. He puts his fingers in the man's ears. He touches his tongue. And the man understood what Jesus was doing. And when the hearing returned, he heard Jesus say to him in Aramaic, Ephatha, be opened. And this clearly struck Peter. He remembers categorically the word that Jesus used in his healing. And the result was this man could hear and speak immediately. Ferguson says the manner in which he had done it was so extraordinary. He had done it quietly, modestly, and most of all, graciously. His sign language was, in a sense, an acted parable of his incarnation. He entered into this man's world of silence and spoke the only language he could understand. And what is interesting is the word that Mark used for this man who is deaf and has a speech impediment. It's the only time this word is used in the New Testament. Now, you are used to me using unusual words like bin or waistcoat, and straight away you know, okay, that's because he's from Northern Ireland. Well, Mark is using this unique word in his hearers Uh, who would be familiar with the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, would recognize this word from a famous passage in Isaiah where it also occurs. Isaiah 35, and you have it in your outline. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. Isaiah was prophesizing of a future Messiah who would open the eyes of the blind, who would cause the deaf to hear and the dumb to sing. By Mark using this word in reference to the work of Jesus, he is saying that Jesus is the promised Messiah of Isaiah 35. But the fact that Jesus does this in the Decapolis, it helps us see the scope of Jesus' ministry. He came for the Gentiles too. And Jesus continues to do this work today. In a spiritual sense, he opens the eyes of the blind. He causes you to see that he is God and that through him you have salvation. He causes ears to hear his spirit, calling you to himself calling you to put your trust in him. He causes your tongue to sing and praise. 
no longer your own achievements, but the achievements of Jesus Christ, for he is your Savior. Well, secondly, consider Jesus is the creator who recreates your life, verses 35 to 37. Jesus tells the man who has, he's just healed, not to tell anyone, but this man who could not hear, who could not talk, he's now unable to stop talking about it along with his friends. It's like telling a child on their birthday, you're not allowed to tell anyone. It's hard now to understand this prohibition of Jesus. Jesus had allowed the Gerasene demoniac to share and tell how much the Lord had done for him. And at the very least, Jesus was operating in a way that was not simply about creating a mass movement of people. He was not seeking a revolution in a political sense. Even the fact that he did this miracle quietly, off to the side, away from the people, it shows that these are not stunts to wow the crowd. But it would be a revolution in a spiritual sense. For when he healed the man, Jesus did something unusual. He sighed. Did you notice that? Ferguson says, this sigh was a sigh of the heart of God for his needy creation. He felt sorrow. He felt anger at the fallenness of this world and its effect on the life of this man. He enters this man literally by putting his fingers in his ears and on his tongue. And so Jesus is recreating this man. And it's a picture of what all Jesus' miracles are about. They are fixing the brokenness of this creation by recreating it. And so he's fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy. The people in response says, he has done all things well. Does that sound familiar? It's an echo from Genesis 1, when God said himself about his creation, that it is good. And so Jesus is recreating this man's life by restoring his hearing and his speech. Just consider how isolated this man must have been. Separated from God spiritually, but he's also separated from his fellow man in a physical sense. And the work of Christ that reconciles him to himself or to, to God and to his fellow man. Well, this is a foretaste of heaven, of the completed work of Jesus Christ, restoring humanity in a restored creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And this is a work he is doing in your life as one of his children. He's making all things new. You're living in the frustrations of a fallen world with illness, tragedy, depression, anxiety. But Jesus came and he made this man whole. And he's doing the same in your life. That's the hope you have in Christ. He enters your life and he recreates it. You too are made whole. Well, thirdly, notice Jesus provides satisfaction for you and all nations. Now, the feeding of the 4,000 is very similar to the feeding of the 5,000. But the biggest difference is where it happened. It's important to realize that geography matters. Now, coming from Northern Ireland, we know that geography matters. Which town you're in, which part of the city you're in is important to your personal well-being, especially 
growing up in the 80s and 90s when the troubles were still happening. And if you find yourself in the wrong part of town because of your religious background, well, you would feel vulnerable. You would not be safe. And likewise, it's so significant that Jesus, a Jew, would come and minister in Gentile Decapolis. What Jesus did for the Jews, he would also do for the Gentiles. And even here in this Gentile region, we see the multitudes coming to hear Jesus. Thousands come, even for sick, having food, to simply hear what Jesus had to say. We read of Jesus' compassion for them. These people are so devoted to Jesus, he can't let them go hungry, or else they would faint. And the disciples respond just like they did the last time. They respond with unbelief. Where can we get food in the wilderness to feed them? Jesus looks to them to consider their own resources. Well, they have seven loaves. And from these seven loaves and a few fish, Jesus feeds the multitude. Everyone was filled. Everyone is satisfied. And the leftovers made up seven basketfuls. And in our reading, we see seven large basketfuls. In the feeding of the 5,000, there were 12 baskets. And these baskets are understood to be small, shoulder bag-sized baskets. But these seven were huge baskets. One commentator says that it's similar to the basket that Paul would have used to escape in down the walls of Damascus. And so Jesus is making a point with the number seven and these huge baskets. Number seven, the number of perfection and wholeness. In Christ, there is perfect satisfaction. Jesus is the one who can satisfy not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles too. He is the Savior of the world. He is the bread of life. The world can know wholeness in Christ. Hughes writes, The bread miracles among Gentiles meant that Jesus was spiritual bread for the pagan world, for you and me. Jesus was saying that the material is not enough for humanity. Once when he was tempted to meet his own physical needs at the expense of the spiritual, he responded, man shall not live by bread alone. So this miracle, it points to how in Christ you find your satisfaction. In Christ you are filled. And just notice how Jesus does it. He doesn't dump a ton of bread in the wilderness No, he keeps breaking the bread and handing it out as it was needed. And people had so much that they found that they had leftovers. It points to the sufficiency that we have in Christ. Now, in supply chains, they talk about just-in-time inventory system. This is a process to improve efficiency by making a product and getting it in the hands of the consumers as soon as possible. So rather than making a product, making a lot of the one product, and for that product to sit in warehouses, which is expensive, it costs money, you make a smaller amount and you get it delivered straight away to the consumer or straight away to the shop where the consumer gets the the product. Now, it's a system that works well until there is one chink in the system that breaks it down, as we've seen recently with our supply chain problems. Well, Jesus supplies us just in time. He keeps breaking off bread. He keeps feeding you. You're thinking, I don't have the strength to do this. 
I feel overwhelmed. But know in Christ, he will keep feeding you. He will supply you with the grace that you need in that time. And so keep crying out to Christ, and in him you find satisfaction. And that's the message that you are to proclaim to this world, a message for this whole world. And we live in a world that is crying out for help. The compassion that Jesus showed to these people, that should be the compassion we show others. That should be evident in our lives. Now, we have experienced Christ's kindness. And as we've seen with this deaf and mute man, you're to do the same. You're to enter people's lives. You're to help them see who Jesus is, that he is the only one who satisfies. So ask your close friends how familiar they are with Christ's compassion. And if they're not, ask, would you like to read one of the Gospels with me so you know Christ better? You are to help your missionaries as they proclaim that Jesus is the bread of life. And you do that by supporting them. And so children, make sure you write those letters to your assigned missionary families to encourage them. Jesus is the savior of the world. It's not the Chinese Communist Party. It's not Islam. It's not a new world order. It's not a global climate agreement. It's not even the Republican red wave that we're hoping for in the next few weeks. No, Jesus is the Savior. He feeds the hungry. He satisfies you. And he satisfies this hungry world. Well, fourthly, consider, will you respond like the hard-hearted Pharisees? Verses 10 to 12. So Jesus travels immediately after this miracle to Dalmanutha. He's back in Jewish territory. As we see, the Pharisees are present What is it that the Pharisees demand? They demand a sign from heaven to prove that Jesus is from God. But notice how Mark adds that they are testing Jesus. Someone else asked Jesus to do something miraculous. Who was that? Well, it was the devil. The devil asked Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple for God's angels to come and to rescue him. Jesus responded, you are not to put God to the test. Jesus is God, and the Pharisees were putting him to the test. No wonder Jesus speaks of them elsewhere as as being of the devil. The Pharisees had ignored the very signs he had done. Well, what are the signs? Signs are markers that point to a destination. You have to follow the signs to where they take you. But the Pharisees were unwilling to follow the signs. They were hard-hearted. They had already made up their minds. They decided that Jesus was off the devil, and so they would not follow the signs. So imagine driving along a road, and you see a sign to where you're going, and you say, that sign's not good enough for me. It's too small. It's the wrong color. It doesn't look professional enough. And you keep on driving looking for a better sign. Well, that's foolishness, isn't it? And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They saw the signs, and they chose to ignore them. And no wonder Jesus sighed deeply. And this is the second time that Jesus sighs in our passage. Again, Jesus is experiencing righteous anger and frustration at sin. These are the men who are steeped in the Old Testament, 
they would not recognize that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Son of God. Now, in Matthew's account, Jesus speaks how they will get a sign. Matthew 16, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. The sign signified by Jonah was that of the resurrection. Christ would die. Three days later, he would rise. How did the Pharisees respond to that sign? They tried to cover it up. They hid the truth by coming up with a false narrative that the disciples had stole the body. And so Jesus, he leaves the Pharisees. He departs. They had no interest in the truth. Instead, they were holding on to their sin, to their pride over their positions of authority that Jesus was undermining. They were not listening. My parents, you will appreciate this. You're telling your kids what to do, and they don't hear you. You could be standing right beside them, but they don't hear you. And uh, they don't hear you because they are so distracted by something else. And they also know that what you're saying is something that they are not interested in. But you could be in another room, a different conversation. You're talking to your spouse about presents, about ice cream, or something that will interest your child, and the child runs in, rushing in, wanting to find out more. That's often how people respond to Christ. They can't hear him, even if he's shouting into their ear. And it's not because they are deaf, but they're listening to something else. Well, who are you listening to? McCoy says Christ will never satisfy the miracle chasers or the sophisticates. His cross stands against all forms of human pride and celebrity. It is the naked Christ, gasping for air, utterly broken, who is our redemption. But he will always be out of reach for those who want the spectacular. Christ will not impress the pride. To hear Christ, you have to humble yourself and recognize your need. It's like the safety instructions on the airplane. You proudly think, I know these. I don't need them. Nothing will happen to me. But when the plane goes down, you are listening to every instruction that the flight attendant gives you. The Pharisees, they lost their opportunity for Jesus leaves them. And Hughes writes, what a terrible thing it is to have Christ turn his back on you and seal away. But that is ultimately what he does to those who continually refuse his salvation. There comes a time when he gives no more signs, no more help in understanding. So are you listening to Christ? Or are you hard-hearted like these Pharisees who refuse to listen? Well, finally, will you respond to Christ with understanding that he is the promised Messiah? So the disciples are with Jesus on the boat now. And they're worried that they don't have enough bread. They only have one loaf. Someone forgot to bring bread. This event is almost comical. Even though they have witnessed Jesus feeding 5,000 men with 12 basketfuls of leftovers, 4,000 men with seven basketfuls of leftovers, they are concerned that they would now go hungry. And Jesus warns them to be careful. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. 
Jesus must have been considering his recent interactions with the Pharisees. They claimed to be learned men, but they were deliberately blind. And so leaven is often used as a symbol of evil. And the Pharisees, they had an influence on the people, teaching them that you can make yourself right with God by your legalistic obedience. Herod and his people uh, gave the Jews the example of hedonism and compromise with the Romans to gain power, both of which, the Pharisees and Herod, led to them not believing in Jesus. And Jesus is telling the disciples, watch out. And this warning is necessary. The disciples were discontent in that they did not have enough bread, even though Jesus is with them. They were looking to themselves and not to Christ. That's what the Pharisees and Herod were doing. They looked to themselves for their own salvation. And so they could not see Jesus clearly and why they need him. And likewise, the disciples are looking to their own resources. But the disciples don't get it. They misunderstand Jesus as if he's telling them off for not bringing bread. It's like being told a riddle or a joke. The answer is obvious but you just don't get it. But this is no joke. This is no riddle. So no wonder Jesus speaks in exasperation, verse 17. Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? Do you not remember? What is it that they don't remember? Well, Jesus reminds them of the feeding of the 5,000 and how there were 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Jesus reminds them of the feeding of the 4,000 and how there were seven basketfuls of leftovers. Then Jesus says, how is it you do not understand? Their concern over bread is trivial considering they have the bread of life in the boat with them. They were acting in unbelief and so were treating Jesus just like how the Pharisees and Herod treated Jesus. What does it look like to have faith in Jesus? What does it look like to have understanding hearts? Well, you recognize Jesus for who he is. He is the bread of life. He is the promised Messiah who provides for you. It's very practical. For instead of anxiety over bread, you have contentment in the Lord. You don't look to your own resources. No, you look to Christ to supply you. Paul helpfully demonstrates this in Philippians 4, verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So whatever it is that you are facing this week, You're waiting for results, or you get disappointing news about your job, or your family blows up, or you forget to bring your lunch to school. Whatever the situation, remember Christ is with you. He is the Messiah. He is your Messiah. And so you have contentment in him. Don't let the leaven of unbelief influence you. Recognize you have life, and you have life to the full, for he makes you whole. And this is a message 
not just for Jews or for church-going people. No, this is a message that the whole world must embrace. So Jesus is the prophesied Messiah of the world who came to open ears and eyes and you're to respond, not with hard hearts, but with understanding hearts. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the compassion of Jesus Christ who opens the ears and eyes of the deaf and the blind. And ultimately, that's us. And so we thank you that Jesus came for Gentiles. Again, that's us. We thank you that Jesus came to those who don't have resources of their own to satisfy. And again, this is us. And so we thank you for Christ. We thank you that he is our Messiah, and in him we have satisfaction. In him we have eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please turn your blue psalm book to Psalm 40a. Psalm 40a, this psalm reminds us that when we find ourselves in the pit, we are to cry out to God. He hears us. The disciples forgot this, and sadly, too often we forget this too. And in the psalm, we see the Lord giving the psalmist a song of praise. May God soften our hearts and loosen our tongues that we respond always in praise to God. Let's stand and sing Psalm 48.